It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. You can thank me later. Download the Alive Podcast app for free or subscribe for $20 for six months to experience ad-free listening. Help you conceive baby is going to like help get baby here, right? So like... I mean, the positions, given the positions that women birth in, like, those are some of the same positions that you were in, you know, 40 weeks before when you conceived this baby. Um, But just like the love and the connection, you know, that the baby was conceived under, we also want and need that throughout pregnancy. Like oxytocin is so important through pregnancy. And then, you know, as we're getting closer and in the birth, right? Like being able to have your partner close to you and they're loving on you is super important. Welcome to Sex and Color, the show featuring all things sex and sexual wellness from BIPOC voices in the field. I'm your host, Adriel Collins. I'm an LPC, sex therapist, coach, educator, struggling PhD student, and a self-proclaimed sex nerd. I'm also the owner of Melanin Sex Therapy in Dallas, Texas. Joining me today on the show is Courtney Butts. She's the owner of Soulfully Rooted Wellness here in Dallas, Texas. She's a licensed clinical social worker, yoga teacher, doula, and more importantly, she's a person that I consider a friend. So Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's just jump right into these questions because uh, you are a doula and a therapist, and I love the topic of sex and pregnancy because I think that it's an important topic that really doesn't get talked about a whole whole bunch, and Mm -hmm. your expertise is why I have you here today, so let's jump right into it. As a doula, um, so you work with people who are pregnant, and you're also a therapist, you work with people who are experiencing infertility. Um, can you share some common issues or concerns that your Black female clients may face during this phase? Absolutely. So both as a doula, as a as a therapist, um, I see a lot of my Black clients, one, having fear about safety mm-hmm. and you know, giving birth, the, you know, statistics show that black women are three to four times more likely to die um, to with pregnancy related complications. So I think there's always a fear like that's number one, like what's going on? Am I, you know, can I trust my provider? Can I trust the hospital? And then once we have baby, it's like, how do I do all the things like having a baby is overwhelming. And I think there's not a lot of thought given to themselves as a birthing person um, and definitely no very little to no thought and consideration to relationships with their partners. Um, so I would say a majority is concerned about health and just wanting to live. That is a big concern. And another reason why I'm glad you're here is to kind of touch on the black maternal maternal mortality rate, uh, especially in Texas. I am someone who almost died having Mm. my son and because I wasn't listened to by a doctor, my mom had to threaten to sue the hospital so they wouldn't discharge me. And 
I was 19 at the time. I didn't know any better. You know, you always grow up kind of like doctors are supposed to know better. Doctors Mm -hmm. are supposed to be the ones taking care of you. So how do you walk your clients as a therapist and a doula? How do you help them like navigate those fears? Because that's a very real concern. Absolutely. I mean, I think starting from the beginning, me being trauma-informed and trauma-aware and trauma-conscious and wanting to come in and listen to them. So like as your doula or as your therapist, like I want you to know that I hear you no matter what um, and that I'm going to listen to you and what you have to say is important. Um, I do a lot of education around what's normal, right? So like if you are in pain, like let's talk about that. Like things should be uncomfortable. I mean, unmedicated childbirth there there is pain right but like after baby's born and like if we're in recovery and like your vagina sore yes absolutely right your c-section scar like that area is sore absolutely but when we're coming to like hey I have this sharp pain somewhere like is this normal being able to to know that like your doctor your nurse your healthcare provider should answer that and listen to you there should be tests there should be you know, whatever is needed that it shouldn't be brushed under the rug. So we talk a lot about like what's normal, what's not normal. Um, And then specifically with my doula clients, being able to say like, I'm there. Unlike a doctor who just kind of comes in, you know, as babies crowning or nurses who are in and out of the room, the benefit of having a doula is that my time and attention and focus is on that birthing person. And like, I don't, you know, leave and go work with other people and stuff like that. Like, I'm watching you, I'm watching your movements, I'm watching how you sound in the moment that I feel like something is off. I'm there to check in, I'm there to ask questions, I'm there to hold space. Um, which I think is important in allowing that family or that individual to feel comfortable um, during such a vulnerable time. I needed you and <laughs> 15 years ago <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's exactly no one talked about what is abnormal, Yeah, what type of pain is abnormal. And you are exactly right. I ended up having two blood clots. I had a blood clot on my mm. placenta. And then afterwards, I ended up getting a blood clot uh, as a result of my C-section. And I just felt this pain and mm-hmm. no one was listening. And yeah. the nurses were saying, it's not that bad because mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you know it was that bad, you would be like screaming and hollering and things like that. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was wild um, looking back on it now that this actually happens and people do legitimately get dismissed for their pain and it costs them their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you had spoke to um, the relationship aspect after Uh, a person has given birth and especially in female identified um, individuals, we have like this superwoman complex. So we got to get back to work and take care of everything. And, you know, we are not allowed to have that downtime. And um, in our community, mental health is not really on the forefront. So postpartum, how do you help navigate your clients through postpartum? Oh, man. So one thing that I do share with clients, and I like to give this kind of like thought of a lot of times what we see, like whether people that we know are, you know, us, 
um, personally, or at least in our society, I like to say a lot of times we spend so much time, you know, planning and being excited and investing time and energy in um, the engagement, right? When two people are getting married and, you know, the ring and the wedding and the dress and so much time and energy is spent on that, that a lot of times we're not prepared for the real work, which is after you say I do and starting your life with this person. Um, and I think it's very similar when it comes to pregnancy and birth is that people spend a lot of time and energy planning, um, investing, right? If there's IVF or, you know, IUI, getting pregnant in baby showers and, you know, choosing their provider and, you know, preparing for the birth. And I think all those things are important. But I think the real work starts when you get home, right? And this baby's in your arms and you're like, crap, like, what the fuck do I do now? And I really like to focus on like, yes, let's spend some time talking about the birth. Let's spend some time, you know, talking about, you know, birth preferences and, you know, what's important to you. Like all of those things are important. And before baby gets here, we need to think about what is life going to look like, sound like, feel like after baby's born. So we do a lot of preparation as far as like day to day, like what happens now? How does your house run? And then how do we expect that to continue to happen after you have a baby and you're super tired, right? And, um, you know, you're not sleeping. So we talk a lot about, you know, food, right? Who's going to do the grocery shopping? Who's going to wash the dishes? Who's going to do laundry? Um, And then how are you going to take care of yourself, right? Because that's also important. And then what about your relationships, both friendships, but also if there's a partner present, like how are you going to, continue to spend quality time and bond and connect with your partner. All of that, having that preparation, because you are absolutely right. The emphasis is on birth. It's this happy, special, magical, wonderful time. And like everyone is happy and hormones that are high, endorphins are high um, and everybody's feeling good. But And the reality is most Mm -hmm. people crash when they get home or most people crash before they get home. And that's been like a little dirty, dark little secret for so long. And I even hate the term that they use like baby blues, like it's something cutesy. And do you find that having the plan, I know that doesn't prevent postpartum 100%, but do you find that having a plan in place helps to ease the burden of postpartum? I do. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that it can't, you know, 100% prevent it. But like, let's think about it now before our life is hectic. Right. So I think like, okay, remember, we talked about XYZ, right? So let's go ahead and, you know, utilize that tool, like who are support people, like who can we call, um, you know, getting a meal train started, all of those things, I think, can reduce the burden um, and make things feel less big. Um so yeah, I do think I do think it's helpful, and I do hear feedback from my clients. They're like, "Thank you." Like I would have never thought about that. Um, like something even that I was talking about with a therapy client today um, is we were talking about like sleep, right? And like I always encourage my clients. I'm like, you and your partner both shouldn't wake up for every feeding in the middle of the night. Like we need to figure out where's you know what's a way that both of y'all are able to be rested. Like what's the compromise? Because um, I don't think that you know, one person should always be up with baby. And I think it's not realistic to say both people are always up with baby, right? So like, how do we figure out a schedule? How do we figure out the things to, you know, try to make that um, transition um, as easy as possible? So I think at very least we're thinking about it and knowing that it's coming 
can sometimes be helpful. I am so glad that you mentioned that because I feel like in our society, it's kind of like people have this misconception of everything should be even and 50, 50. Mm-hmm. And, and if I got to get up, you got to get up. And, you know, that's not always sometimes the case. It's not always going to look 50, 50 Mm-mm. even. And I think preparing people for that expectation of this is going to be messy and this yeah. is going to be kind of like wonky until we figure it out and get on the same page and get on a routine. And so how do we as a couple talk about that conversation and have those conversations with one another? Like you said, getting that plan together before things get too out of hand. Absolutely. Because I think that's where we breed resentment, right? Like if we're not communicating and connecting with our partners on expectations and desires and needs, especially with a new baby, then it's like, yeah, I'm resenting you because I'm having to be the one to get up all the time. And yeah, we can, we can try our best to prevent that. What role do you feel like traditional gender roles play in that quote unquote traditional gender roles? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely quote unquote. I mean, for me, what I see is, you know, with, um, a heterosexual couple, like I see, well, dad has to, and, me, and then, and of course, in the U.S., like our, um, you know, time off policies are garbage. Trash. <laughs> and, you know, especially, you know, dads don't get a lot of time off to, to be, you know, home. So it's usually, well, he has to work. He has to work or he has to do this or he has to do that. So I'll be the one to get up with baby. And I'm like, okay, I hear that. But it's not possible for you to operate off of, you know, three hours of sleep consistently. Um, So being able to talk about like you can't like I've seen clients, both doula and therapy clients that say, you know, I'm going to be the one that gets up every time the baby's up and I'm going to be the one that fixes all the meals and I'm going to be the one to clean the house um, and make sure that everything else is running because, you know, he's at work or he's the breadwinner and I need to make sure that things are rolling. And I'm like, that's not possible. Right. You mentioned that superwoman complex. Like that's not a thing because eventually you're going to burn out. And all hell's going to break loose. Right. right. So like it's being able to identify like what's within what's realistically within your wheelhouse. And then how do we utilize family, friends or even paid services like night nannies or postpartum doulas to um, like help fill in the gaps. Mm. That is I'm feeling like a tinge in my chest right now because that is hard as hell. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you find that, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, like asking for help for me is very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Don't judge mm-hmm. me as a fellow therapist. but <laughs> <laughs> It's hard for all of us. It's hard for all of us. And I think especially as black women, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you should mm-hmm. be able to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you're independent, you're strong, like get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm in my damsel in distress era. Um <laughs> I um, love it. <laughs> walk around with a fainting couch and everything. Right. Um, <laughs> I love that. And can you just let people know the different types? Because, again, I'm glad that you're mentioning there's services out there. There are night doulas. There are postpartum doulas. There's 
I love the when I see the um, night doulas, well, the postpartum doulas on TikTok that come in and stay with the baby overnight so the birthing person can get some sleep. Can you speak to the different types of doulas and just normalizing that it's okay to? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I work as a birth doula. So what my um, services typically look like is um, usually what I get more often than not is a woman like literally peeing on a stick and being like, hey, I'm pregnant. I want your services. And I'm like, okay, let's go to your doctor first. Let's get an estimated due date. Right. Let's make a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So I usually see people through conception, walk with them through their pregnancy. I'm present at their birth. And then I usually stay a couple hours postpartum to kind of like walk through that immediate postpartum. And then um, I'll do typically one, maybe two home visits after baby's born at about a week, two weeks um, to just kind of check in, talk about your birth story. And I'm always available via phone and text to talk through the things. Um, And then there are, there's all types of doulas. There's people that will walk people through conception. So if they're, you know, um, struggling with infertility and wanting some, you know, help and support around that. There's doulas that work, you know, in that realm. Um, there's doulas that um, are abortion doulas. Um, so if someone is um, terminating a pregnancy and they want someone to walk through that process with them, um, that's also available. There's people who that only do postpartum. So once you are at home and settled, they'll join you at home. And it's kind of like, I mean, almost like a mother's helper type person. So they'll, you know, they could watch baby while mom takes a shower. They may do some light housework. They may, you know, go order groceries. Mm -hmm. They may, you know, do a pickup from Target, but just kind of like an extra set of hands. Um, And then there's some postpartum doulas that do overnights. And then that's also kind of the realm of like um, a night nanny who will be able to take care of baby overnight. So they typically will work like, a 9 p.m. to a 9 a.m. shift maybe, and they'll um, have baby. And then when baby wakes up, they'll bring baby um, into the parent's room so um, mom can nurse and then take baby back. And then they'll be with baby kind of through the night and any you know diaper changes and things like that. So, I mean, really when it comes to doulas, and then there's full spectrum doulas who do all of that. And oh, you know, wow. are trained and, you know, ready to get their hands dirty, you know, through through any and all of it. So, I mean, basically, I mean, the, the word doula is mother's helper. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're there to help support, um, serve, encourage um, people through this, you know, transitional time in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad that doulas are becoming more mainstream and mm-hmm. becoming being talked about more and being utilized more and being normalized because I would read through some of the comments and they would be shaming people for having Mm -hmm. an overnight doula. But it's like, why, if I can have that, why not utilize it? Why do we have to continue? I don't love my baby any less if I'm not like killing myself to Mm -hmm. take care of it so that Uh is just wild and so Uh I am happy to see that conversation starting to shift and change have you noticed any of that absolutely I mean I think more and more when we talk about 
you know, maternal mortality with black women that people are saying like, okay, I want to have a doula. I want to have someone to walk through all the things with me, but then also postpartum. Like, yeah, I don't have to do this alone. Right. And there are people who are specifically trained in providing me with support postpartum. Um, I think, yeah, I'm seeing it become more and more popular. Um, yeah, every year. So I love it. I mean, it's definitely something I had a doula myself. Um, I didn't have a postpartum doula, but I would, if I could do it all over again, I would definitely have someone there with me to just be right. And just like be here with me, help me normalize the things, like just hold my baby so I can just like take a breath. Um, Yes. Those showers when you have a newborn, oh my God. My grandma was my postpartum doula. And yes, I just remember just being able to just take a shower and take a nap and get something to eat and know that my baby was in good hands and Mm -hmm. go to sleep during the night. And that was an ultimate game changer as a single parent, um, as someone who was working full-time, going to school full-time. I just, I don't know how I would have made it without my grandma and my mom um, being there to help support me and my son. Uh, So I think take all of the help that you can get Mm -hmm. because there's no shame in that. Not at all. Nope, not at all. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about sex. Yes. yes. I have a funny story, but <laughs> my weird ass stories. But how do you help and work with couples who are wanting to have sex during pregnancy, but there are so many misconceptions about sex during pregnancy? I don't think like people really know like you can have sex during pregnancy it's perfectly yes. okay it's perfectly just- okay and, and encouraged <laughs> um <laughs> i mean i like to tell my clients and there's a lot of birth workers who often say this but they're like what got babe like what helped you conceive baby is going to like help get baby here right so like the i mean the positions given the positions that women birth in like those are some of the same positions that you were in you know, 40 weeks before when you conceived this baby. Um, But just like the love and the connection, you know, that the baby was conceived under, we also want and need that throughout pregnancy. Like oxytocin is so important through pregnancy. And then, you know, as we're getting closer and in the birth, right? Like being able to have your partner close to you and they're loving on you. um, Yeah, it's super important. Yeah. So have sex during pregnancy. Um, I have all the sex during pregnancy. So I I like to, so like my vibe is super like chill and laid back. So I typically ask um, in my prenatal visits with my doula clients, like how often were y'all having sex before? Right. And then how often are you having sex now that she's, that you guys are pregnant? And like, why, why is that different? Like, let's talk about it. And like, I want to normalize it. Like, it's not something dirty. Like we know that like you do it or we're making the assumption that you do it or you have done it before. Um, so, you know, being able to demystify it, um, that like, if you're having sex, like the baby's not going to get hit in the head with a penis. Like that's not how the body works. And like, that's not what's going on. And like, I know it's uncomfortable, especially as we get later on in pregnancy and babies growing. So being able to talk about and provide some support and education on like positionings, right? Like Mm -hmm. 
lube it up. Like there's, that's what it's here for. So how do we, you know, figure out ways to make it work for y'all? Yeah. Yeah. That's not where dimples come from. Um. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Yeah. And speaking of positions, um, this is my funny story around pregnancy sex. So I was having sex when I was, um, no, I was like nine months because I was trying to get my son out Ooh, of me. Yeah. So my dumbass um, laid on my back and I almost suffocated. Yeah, yeah. Don't. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. No, no. Yeah, I think conversations around like what feels best and like the different stages of pregnancy, right? So yeah. before you're showing, like do whatever feels good. But then, like, as you get more and more pregnant, like, figure out, like, what are those positions that, you know, feel good? And, like, I tell all of my clients, like, if you're apprehensive about having sex through through the pregnancy, like, I hear that and I want to support you to have more sex. But when my clients are, like, 40 weeks pregnant and they're, like, I'm just ready for this baby to come, Courtney. Like, what do I do? I've eaten the spicy food and I've done this. And I'm, like, okay, I hear you, right? And, like. I don't know, old wives tales with the spicy food and all of that. But I'm like, the one thing that science has proven that you can do is have sex, right? So we got the oxytocin, which is the love hormone that's going to help with all the things. Um, A lot of people don't know that Pitocin, which is often given during induction process um, during birth, is just synthetic oxytocin. So Pitocin is synthetic love hormone. So like, let's create that shit ourselves, right? So like, cuddle up with your partner if you even if you don't want to have sex like what's the connection and intimacy that you can have um and then also um I tell (laughs) my clients um their partners I'm like if you guys do have sex like go ahead and um shoot the club up because the prostaglandins (laughs) in your um semen often help can help um ripen the cervix Right. So again, those prostaglandins are often given in inductions, right, through a medicine that's inserted um, in the, the vagina. Yeah, the cervidil. So it's like, let's go ahead and recognize, like, you guys have all the tools here. Like, let's try it. Um, so, yeah, that's always my like. If you're ready to meet this baby, like, go ahead and have some sex. Exactly. And I just want to do like the chopper noise when you're like, shoot the club. <laughs> yes, yes. I did um, not know that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, they always look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, this is real stuff. Like, this is scientifically proven. Like, I'm not just talking. Um, so, yeah. Yes. So, and I, I do agree. If you are not wanting to have sex because I know body image is a thing that comes up as well. And that doesn't make one feel particularly sexy, but there are other ways to release uh, the oxytocin hormone uh, that is important. And can you talk a little bit about like body image and, you know, we're feeling not our best and not our sexiest during pregnancy, but we want sex. And what if our partner is not finding us as sexy or we have that fear in our minds that our partner is not finding us? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think both during pregnancy, but I see it more often postpartum. Right. So yeah. So we see, you know, I think the pregnancy piece 
that what I hear with, with a, a majority of partners, they're like, I think, you know, she's really attractive and, and sometimes even more um, sexually attracted to her because her body is a lot more curvy and her breasts are more voluptuous. Um, but being able to talk through, like, what concerns do you both have, right? And like, let's put it on the table and let's figure out what are ways that if it's not sex, again, to be able to, you know, get oxytocin. So whether that's hand holding or cuddling or kissing or just quiet time together, if it is, um, you know, mutual masturbation, like whatever, but like we all have needs, right? So like, let's talk about ways that we both can get our needs met. Um, and I think especially postpartum, when we're looking at that time period, our society and like fucking social media just, they want to talk about the snapback, right? And exactly. Like, so many women that are like, I'm two weeks postpartum and I'm already, and I'm like, how? Like, you should be sitting down. Like, you should be still in the bed and not doing anything. Like, why are you already, like, I don't know. Anyways, that's like a whole different thing. So I think that body image piece is really, really difficult. And like, whether that's the extra weight, if that stretch marks, if that, um, you know, even for women that have a cesarean um, birth or a C-section, like there's that scar, right? And which can sometimes be tender even months after giving birth. So I think that there's so many things that go into it. But I think, again, it's all about communication. It's figuring out, like, what can you do to feel more comfortable and confident and normalizing, you know, that those stretch marks are a sign of, you know, that you're a badass and you carried a whole human um, in really trying to, you know, wear those as a badge of honor, um, if it's being able to wear clothes or wear lingerie that emphasizes parts of your body that you're not as self-conscious about, I think can be super helpful. I mean, how if we have to have the lights off and that makes you feel more comfortable, um, I think all of those things can be helpful. But I think the main thing is communication um, and being able to talk about it. Right. I definitely agree. And you were saying like with social media and not that. Mm-hmm. I think having the realistic expectations of this is what a body looks like immediately after yep. you give birth. This mm-hmm. is what a real body looks like immediately. Well, a couple of months after you get yeah. birth, years after you get birth, stretch marks on your stomach, stretch marks everywhere. They are a normal thing. Like your skin yep. stretched. You literally yep carried a whole ass human being yes yes (laughs) so I think like okay so funny story for myself I'm gonna put my business out there so for me in being pregnant with my son um I had two fears it wasn't even pushing a baby out of my vagina my two fears were the poop the very first poop after giving birth and my second fear was being sexually um active being intimate with my husband after giving birth right so the poop that was nothing like as soon as baby was born I was like give me a stool softener and we were good (laughs) Um, That was my, that was my first concern. Like, oh, he's cute. Now where's my stool soft? Um, But then when it was time for us to, to be intimate again, my uh, midwife was like, okay, you're eight weeks postpartum. You guys can have sex. And I was like, what? And I was like, I'm no, right. Like I'm nowhere near ready for that. So, you know, me and my husband talked about that and we communicated about it. Um, And then when I was ready, I felt like I just recreated like that quote unquote stereotypical like prom night. So like we got my mom watched the baby and I think we were probably three months postpartum and like we went to dinner and like I had lingerie and like maybe like four bottles of lube. Like I'm like, we got options. We're not about to, you know, 
we're going to make sure everything's good. And, like, I was terrified because, like, I don't know what happened down there, right? Like, I don't know exactly. what it's going to feel like. Like, I'm, like, it was terrifying for me. But I was, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be close and intimate in that way with my husband again. And, like, we did it. And it wasn't that bad. But I think there was a lot of, you know, foreplay. And there was a lot of, you know, things to put me at ease. And for me to feel comfortable and confident, you know, doing it, um, I think was was really good, you know, for me. And I know that's not everybody's story, that there's some people that feel pressure to be intimate with their partner because their partner has needs and, you know, they want to have sex. But, I, I mean, I say do it on your own time. Do it in a way that feels comfortable for you. But communicate about it, right? Like, let's talk about what do we need, what are we feeling, and how do we you know, both get our needs met. Exactly. Exactly. I know I see that a lot. And in my practice is that they're not on the same page and there's not realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And one partner is feeling like they are not getting there. So I'm going stereotypes again, but it's typically the man. Sorry, men. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that starts to build resentment or make the male partner feels some type Mm -hmm. of way and then it makes the woman feel some type of way and they are just in the stalemate. And typically what it is, is the woman is breastfeeding. And if they already have little kids, like her body is just like overtouched and Mm -hmm. overstimulated. And the last thing that she wants is someone else touching her body. Mm -hmm. And that is an interesting place to navigate and an interesting place to, I don't know, help couples navigate. Like I like Mm -hmm. doing that and I like the educational piece about it, but yeah, I just always find like that's an interesting piece because until I started working as a therapist, I never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like being overstimulated, like especially for um, a mom who's breastfeeding, like being overstimulated and just being touched out. Like I have this baby on my breast. I have this baby needing me to hold it and shush it and like do all the things like once baby's down, like I don't want to be touched. Like I don't want to be, you know, stimulated in any way. Like just let me be for a second. Um, Yeah. And we don't, we don't talk about that enough and validate that. Like that's real. Yeah. That is definitely real. Something else that that made me think of um, that I feel like we also don't talk about is, um, and I thought about this when I was sharing, um, you know, my story is women or birthing people relearning their body and like after baby comes out, like of your stomach or your vagina or whatever, however you birth your baby, like when you're comfortable and ready, like explore it, right? Like right. see what see what's different, see what's the same, right? And like you have to relearn your body and be comfortable with it. I know for me, you know, putting putting more of my business out there, um, before giving birth to my son, like I did not enjoy nipple stimulation. Like, don't even look at my breasts, cause like that shit's gonna piss me off and turn me off and like, you know, all of that. And then after giving birth to my son, like nipple stimulation is like my thing and like it was so surprising for me after you know giving birth to my son and like how is this possible like how did I just do you know a 180 and what I like and what I don't like and you know all of that but it was fun to explore and it was fun to like it wasn't 
I tried my best to make it fun. Right. And I tried my best to say like, let's go on a treasure hunt. Right. And like, let's see what I like and let's see what I don't like. And let's see, you know, what feels good and what feels uncomfortable and like being curious about it. I think, because I was in a good mental space, right. I didn't feel the pressure. Um, Lots of communication. Like I felt safe and like being able to explore that I think was super beneficial and something that I recommend um, because things are, they can look different and feel different. Right, right. I'm glad that you brought that up, the exploration and the being curious, not just on an individual level, I think on a couple level mm-hmm, too, because mm-hmm. sex is not going to look the same after right. childbirth. And I think if both of you have that expectation that you're immediately going to snap back both physically mm-hmm. and sexually and emotionally, that's setting you both up for failure. So I think just having that level of curiosity about all of the things and having a level of realistic expectations of what life is going to look like after baby um, Mm -hmm. with lots of communication. Um, I think more conversations about that should be had versus like, this is the time that you are supposed to start having sex and Mm -hmm. this is what this is supposed to look like and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we touch on infertility uh, real Mm -hmm. quick and just helping folks who are wanting to become pregnant um, but are not able to do it by themselves and may need a little help? um, How does that impact sex and Mm -hmm. how do you work with with clients who are like in IVF treatments or experiencing infertility? Yeah. So as a therapist, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because often what I get is couples coming and they're like, we've been trying, we've been trying and we're both just kind of like over it. Right. I'm, you know, tracking my cycle and I'm ovulating and then I have to, you know, call my husband and be like, hey, I'm ovulating. And then he's like, "Okay, let's have sex. And like, it's no longer fun. Right. It it is a job. And, like, it's taking the spice out of it. And, like, for me, I love being able to talk about, like, what's your comfort level? Let's talk about, like, what you guys are comfortable with. And then, like, how do we spice it up, right? Because, like, we know that we're doing this with a purpose. Like, we know that, like, we have to do it at this this day, right, or this part of the month. So, like, how do we make it fun? And, like, that's what I love being able to just talk about and, like, come up with ideas and, like, you know, how do we bring the joy back into the sex and intimacy when we are trying to conceive. So I typically go that route. Like if we're stressed, right, and our cortisol levels are high, then the oxytocin levels, like knowing that they work in tandem. And if we're super stressed and super worried about conception and what's going to happen, then can our body really do the things that it's designed to do? So let's relax. Let's have fun. Let's make it spicy. Um, let's come up with some ideas and let's just do the things. Um, that's usually how I like to, um, approach it. Let's make it fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it can be, like you said, a job, a chore of Mm -hmm. let's get this done. I'm ovulating now. This is the right time. And it just Mm -hmm. takes all the connection and all of the the pleasure out of sex and it doesn't work in in your favor um mm-hmm. just to 
have sex through the motions. And so I appreciate you encouraging people to find the joy, find the pleasure, even though this Mm -hmm. is something that you have to do. It can still be spicy. It can still be Mm -hmm. fun. It can still be Mm -hmm. sexy. Yeah. Um, And what about men who experience postpartum? Um, Mm -hmm. How, how do you work or have you worked with, with that? Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the things I really enjoy about being a doula is that like, I'm not just there for the mom or for the birthing person, but I'm there for the family. I'm there for the unit. I'm there for the partner. And one of my, um, I I don't know if like favorite moments, I guess I'll say favorite moments was um, there was a couple who had twins. And, you know, I was checking in. I usually check in on the mom and the dad. I check in on both partners. And um, the dad called me one day. And they were maybe, like, three weeks postpartum. And I was like, hello? And he's, like, in tears. And, like, he's, like, bawling. And he's like, the babies don't love me. They don't like me. All they want is their mom. And, like, I'm not a good dad. And I'm not a good partner. And, like, he's, like, bawling. And I was like, okay. All right. All right. Right? So, like, we're talking through. And we're talking through, like, again, like, scientifically and facts. Like, mom has the milk. Right. So like, yes, they're crying for mom because like mom has the milks and, you know, you're the one that's like, you know, taking off their diaper and exposing them to all the cold air and they don't want that. And I was like, this doesn't mean that you're a bad dad and it doesn't mean that you're a bad partner. Right. Like this is what's going on. And let's also normalize, like, you are also, as the partner, having some hormone fluctuations. Right. Right. So like you're feeling these big feels because like it's sad and like you think that you're a bad partner, but like these tears or like these fears being these um, feels being magnified could also be due to your hormone fluctuations. Right. So like being able to educate and know that partners, um, you know, even same sex (laughs) couples, like couples that adopt, they also experience those hormone shifts. Um, So let's talk about that and normalize that. But then also like, it's also okay to feel sad, right? It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel like you're failing, you know, as a partner that you're failing as a dad. Like that's not the truth, but like I want to validate those feels and then figure out how do we help you feel more confident in your role as a dad and your role as a partner. Um, And I think in this situation specifically, like I felt so happy that dad felt like, safe enough with me to call me crying, right? Because, like, my assumption was he didn't want to call his homeboys, right? He didn't want to call his own dad because, I mean, toxic masculinity and, like, all that shit. But, like, the fact that he felt comfortable enough calling me, like, that felt good for me. That I'm like, yes, I created a safe space and a a space safe enough for this dad to reach out for help and support. And, like, that's what I'm here for. So it's real. I just feel like we need to talk about it more. Exactly, exactly. Um. Yes, normalizing that partners do go through their own hormonal shifts and their own feelings. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to reach out if you need help. I I know I keep saying this is the last question, but I have like (laughs) two more questions. (laughs) So working with um, trans and non-binary birthing people, Mm -hmm. um, how do you help walk them through this process of giving birth and like fertility um, things that come up around mm-hmm. um, and just like how shitty it is in Texas to mm-hmm. be a trans mm-hmm. and non-binary parent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so from the beginning, I mean, usually one of my first questions for any um, birthing person that I'm working with is like, how do you feel about your provider, whether OB or midwife? And how, how comfortable and confident do you feel that they accept you for who you are? So whether that is, you know, being non-binary, being trans, being black, being 
whatever religious background, like, do you feel like your provider is open and listens to you? Um, and, and that's typically where I start. I know that there's some OBs and midwives who I have worked with or I know personally that I feel like are more inclusive, um, that are more um, open. And then I also know some providers that um, have made homophobic statements, have made transphobic statements, like, have, you know, made racist statements and, you know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable working with them. Um, but being able, so anyways, I'm, I'm rambling, but I say that to say one, you know, how comfortable do you feel with your provider? And if you don't feel hundred percent confident in your provider, let's find you someone else. Like I'm real big on that. Like, let's find you someone that you feel comfortable with. And then from there talking about, um, their previous trauma, if they're willing to open up with me and talk to me about like, how do you feel about who you are and the journey that it took to get to this place and um you know is there anything that we think may be triggering right going into the birthing space and being able to talk through that um how are we going to communicate to your doctor how are we going to communicate to your midwife how are we going to communicate to your nurses um your wants your needs your desires and knowing that i'm going to fully support whatever you want um, and, you know, what's my role in ensuring that people are using proper pronouns and like, I have no problem correcting you, correcting the doctor, correcting the nurse. Um, how do we keep your space safe where people aren't just walking in and out of the room, but they knock and announce themselves first? Um, so I, I like to talk about that and like also talking about like, even with that example, like typical quote unquote hospital protocols, people just like bust in the room. Right. Yes, so being do. able to talk about like, this is normally what happens. How do you feel about that? And then here's some ways that we can create or attempt to create more privacy for you. So that information giving and then creating a plan, um, I think is really important. Right, right, right. I love that you are there to advocate for mm -hmm your clients. And it sounds like that is basically the role. Well, not basically the role, but a big part of your role yeah. as a doula is to advocate uh, on behalf of your clients. And so this is actually the last question. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about this for days and days and days. Yes. On end, but, uh, so how does being a black woman impact how you show up and work with your clients? Yes. So I love this question. Okay. So um, I hope I have like, I hope we have a whole bunch of time for me to like talk about this. We got um, as much time as you need to answer it. Yes. So for me, you know, as a doula, when I first became a doula, um, I like in creating my initial website, I um, was super, super nervous as far as like, you know, I love working with women of color. I love working with black women specifically. And like, how do I communicate that? And my, my first logo was this like beautiful woman and she was pregnant and she had a big ass Afro and I loved it. And I was so nervous. Like people see that and like, are they not going to want to work with me? Are they going to think that I only work with black women? And there was just a lot of fear around that. And even my therapy practice, hopefully rooted wellness, like I feel like it has some like depth and like culture to it. And, you know, there was a concern that I had, like, are people going to look at this and say, no, like, I don't want to work with her um, because she only works with Black people or she's not going to understand me or, you know, any of that. And I had, it took me some time, but to settle into, I love working with all people. I do have a heart. I do have um, 
a um, love for working with people that look like me, because I think for me in my pregnancy, you know, when I was looking for a therapist, I wanted someone that looked like me. Like I wanted, it was imperative for me to have a doula that was black because my providers were white and to have someone who I can look at and know like, okay, she gets it. She looks like me. She's been here before. Like there's just like a sense of like solidarity and sisterhood there for me. So, um, all of that was really important to me starting off. And like, as I was gaining my sea legs, both as a doula and as a therapist, I recognize like, I have to, you know, fuck what other people think. Like, I'm just going to be me. Right. So like, I am going to be authentically me and that's me and my F-bombs and dropping those. It's me and my website. It's the music that I listen to. And I'm going to be respectful and be open, you know, to my clients and hearing what they want and what they need. And it's about them. But like, when you come see me, you know, as, you know, a therapy client, like, I want this to be comfortable for you. And I feel like in order for you to be able to be fully open with me and comfortable with me, then like, I have to be myself. So, you know, I am so much, you know, me um, in the work that I'm doing. And I think that helps other people be themselves. So, I mean, for me, it's really important to create that safe space for people um, and to not deny who I am. And like, you're coming to me because of who I am and what I know, right? Black, white, whatever, that you respect me and the work that I do for who I am. And um, yeah, that's how we like create these connections um, with people. So, right. That was beautifully said. And absolutely, I feel like the more authentic you are, people mm-hmm. know what they are getting when they are reaching out mm-hmm. to you. And mm-hmm. they are reaching out to you for a reason. I know when I was first starting out, I had some of those same concerns as you had. And I remember I was called out on it by <laughs> someone who was looking to work with me, but I am not for everybody. I tell people that quick, fast, and in a hurry. I am not the only sex therapist in Dallas. There are other sex therapists if I am not the one, if I am too myself and too pro-Black. So I think being yourself and being authentic, that really translates and that creates a safe space so your clients can show up in their authenticity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So can you let people know where they can reach you if they have any questions or they need a doula or a therapist themselves? Absolutely. So my website, CourtneyButts.com, is kind of like I have links to all the things that I do there, both my doula work um, and my therapy work. Um, I also do trainings. Um, I recently became a registered yoga teacher. So that's going to be, um, you know, on the website soon. Um, and then my therapy practice specifically, the website is soulfully rooted wellness. Um, and we, um, see clients in person, um, in Dallas, and then we provide virtual services throughout the state of Texas. Um, so, and I keep saying we, cause it's myself. And then I have a team of four other therapists that are working alongside of me to spread the message of healing and providing trauma-informed care um, to communities in Texas. So, yeah, that's where we're at. 
Yes. And y'all be sure to reach out to Courtney. She is awesome. She is amazing. She loves what she does. And I find like those are the best people to work with. You don't want to work with anybody that's like super burnt out on what they're doing, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially doulas (laughs) and therapists. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show today. I am pretty sure in the future I'm going to have you back because, like I said, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I could talk about it all damn day if I had the time. (laughs) I love it. Thanks so much for having me and creating this platform for individuals and couples to, like, hear this information, take it in, and and figure out how they can improve their, their sex lives and intimacy. It was what I was called to do. Got to use my gifts, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you you, so much. Thanks. So we're going to cut it here. All right, sexperts. That's a wrap for today's episode of Sex and Color. Don't forget that I am now part of the Alive Podcast Network, and you can subscribe for ad-free listing. New episodes drop every Tuesday, and you can also follow me wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram at Melanin Sex Therapy. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Adriel, and this has been Sex and Color.